Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph will bring a message from his How's Your Love Life series entitled, A Perfect Relationship. And now, let's join Pastor Ralph. As we get into Colossians today, my Bible here at the top of the chapter, somebody wrote this thing. It says, what Christians should do. Paul is really talking, most of the verses we're going to look at, uh, about just how to live your life as a Christian. How to live your life loving other people in the community. The last two verses, he specifically applies to marriage, and we'll talk about them. But all of these verses talk to us about how to have a perfect relationship, how to get along and have our marriage or our dating relationship or whatever it is, even our friendships, really come to maturity where they, where, where they bless us and, and where we're living in the joy of the Lord, where we're trading our sorrows and our personal pride and all our little agendas for the peace and the joy and the grace that God provides in our life. The word perfect here means mature. It doesn't mean without a single little flaw, but it means that you can have a relationship that really, really works. You know, whether you're a person who is dating somebody and you're thinking about getting married, whether you're a person that is, is married and uh, your marriage is going through some struggles and you'd, you'd like it to be better, whether you've got a real healthy marriage and you want to grow a little bit more, there's, there's room for this. If you're like the lady I spoke to the other night, she's been a widow for about a year and a half and, and, and she's still grieving and she's kind of given up hope that she would ever be married again. She's still a fairly young woman and, and, I, and I talked to her about that and said, no, don't, don't do that. God, God has life for us and, and there's hope for us. I, one of the prayers that I pray is that the Lord would make this church become a place where people would find each other and fall in love and, and, and get married. I think that that's a, a good function for a church to have. But uh, one thing we did talk about, she said it's been very painful for her to come to this series. And I go, but there are people that you're affecting. You know, this, this business we say on the back wall there about we exist to equip you to take God's love to every person. You need to learn what the scripture says so you can give it. And she, she immediately said, yeah, there's, there's several young women in my life and, and I'm, I'm discipling them. I'm raising them up in the Lord and, and it's been painful for me to learn these things, but I'm passing them on and God is using it and he's blessing uh, other people's lives through me. Well, let's take a look at it. The first part talks about you've stripped off your evil nature. And I like to underline my Bible and write little outlines and so I'm going to give you this stuff as we go along in case you want to do the same. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, A, set your sights on the realities of heaven. I underlined that. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Jesus came, if you read the Gospels, and he said, the kingdom of heaven has come to you. What does that mean? Well, it means that life, if you surrender your life to the Lord, you get it. Life is not about you. The universe does not revolve around you as a person. The universe is centered on its creator. And when you come to a place where you allow God to be the king in your life, now the kingdom of heaven becomes a present reality. You don't have to wait to die to go to heaven or wait till Jesus comes back to go to heaven. The kingdom of heaven is, is come to you. In some cases, Jesus would say, as he was beginning to preach to people, the kingdom of heaven is near you. Well, what's that mean? Well, it's near, but they hadn't gotten it yet. That was Charlotte's story this morning. She'd, she was near the kingdom of heaven, but she would never quite surrender to let the Lord be the king in her life. And when she did, now the kingdom of heaven has come. And so it says here that we should uh, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at God's right hand with the place of honor and power. You begin to guide your life 
Let the compass of your life be the value structure of the kingdom of heaven. Let the Lord be the Lord of your life. Begin to surrender your pride and your selfish spirit and let the Lord be the Lord and he'll guide your life into something that works, something that's beautiful. Uh, verse 2 starts out, I wrote a B here, that he- let heaven fill your thoughts. Well, to me that means that I would let God's value system be my value system. I would be in the word of God enough that I, I, can, I can see myself through this life because I've got a, a beacon. Heaven is filling my thoughts. Last week we talked about the book of Proverbs and how much wisdom there is in Proverbs to, to run a family, to run your finances, to run all of this. I, I want to center my thinking and, and center my value system, my, my personal view of the world. I don't want it to be what I get off the news. Do you understand the news is designed to make you scared so you'll want to watch more of it? You know, you get a very distorted picture. I, I don't want to de- build my, my, my life off of the, the lifestyles of the rich and famous. I don't want to build my life off of what I see on, on sitcoms on TV. I, those, are, those are faulty foundations. I want to build my life around the realities of the kingdom of heaven. It says, Do not only think about things down here on earth, for you died when Christ died, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. I put a C there where it says, you died when Christ died, and I underlined that. But you know what? This, have, you, have you noticed this morning when you came to church, there are several people with a little gray in their hair. In fact, August, stand up. He has a little gray in his hair. But turn around and show off your t-shirt now. Just, just show it off to everybody. Spin a full circle now. It's got a 57 Chevy on it. And it says, Highway 50 Plus. And then underneath it says, Hope Chapel, Kaneohe Bay, Time Setters Ministry. That, that's the ministry that, that, that's pastoring the, that people age 50 years old and up. And they're selling these t-shirts. Well, why, why would you want to wear a shirt like that? Well, for one, it's pretty cool. But for another, you identify with this group of people. These are my, my friends. These are my family. We have a little, little bumper sticker you can put in the back window of your car. You know, it says Hope Chapel County Bay. You identify with these people as your family. Well, when, when we are baptized, that's the point at which God has asked us to do this. There's power in the act of baptism. A lot of people are Christians, but oh, I don't want to be baptized. Well, why? Well, baptism feels a little foolish. But it's that act of surrender that somehow helps you cross a threshold and you identify with the death of Christ because the Bible tells us that the water... Is, the, is like the grave. And what you're saying is, when he died for the sins of the world, he died for my sins. And I'm identifying with his death. And something inside of me happens. My old nature dies. And I come alive to God. The transformation is that I die to me being God in my life. And now I'm allowing him to be God in my life. And it says, you died when Christ died. You died when Christ died. Something very, very powerful takes place. Something that can set you free from drugs and alcohol. Something that can set you free from eternal greed and having to have just a little bit more. Something that can set you free from being on a personal power trip dies inside of you when you, when you wrap yourself up in the death of Christ and, and you realize you died when he died. Verse 5, I underline this, D. So put to death the sinful earthly desires lurking within you. Put to death the sinful, earthly desires lurking within you. Now, I've died to the old way of life, but there still comes temptation. 
There still comes times when, when, when things present themselves to me. And I believe that when we're tempted, that there's something supernatural going on. It's not just that you see something that becomes attractive to you, that there's a, an evil spirit that's seducing you and trying to pull you down this road to whatever it is that the devil is tempting you with. It may be power, it may be sex, it may be whatever that's, that's not a right thing. And, and you're, there's, there's something. Put that to death. Just be, begin to be able to, to, to crucify that, to nail it to Jesus' cross and move right on. It says, have nothing to do with, and it lists a bunch of sin, with sexual sin, impurity, lust, shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life, for that is idolatry. There's no place in the Bible that you think that God doesn't want you to enjoy the good things of this life. But what He doesn't want you to do is be greedy for them. In other words, it's okay to own things. It's simply not okay for things to own you. That becomes idolatry. I've got to have a little bit more. I, I, I measure my worth by the kind of car I drive, by the kind of house I live in, by the neighborhood I live in, by the expensive shoes that I wear, or whatever. That becomes a, a, the sin of idolatry. I'm letting that be where I get my identity rather than finding my identity in Christ. Does this make sense? Okay, now, he goes on and says... God's terrible anger will be upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of, and he names more things, anger. Boy, some of us really need to deal with that. Rage. Malicious behavior. That whole thing of I'm going to get even with somebody. Slander. Talking stink about people. Dirty language. Don't lie to each other. You know, there's a whole list of things. When I was a, a young boy, I, I was such an insecure kid. You know, my, I always had fangs in the front. My teeth, my hair always wanted to go funny. I could never good, do well at sports. And I, I'd go to school. I was the last kid picked for every team and every game that we ever played. And uh, I had to figure out some way to mark myself out and get some attention. And so I was such a conflicted individual. I tried to be, have the filthiest mouth in my elementary school. I would just, I would just swear like a pirate. I, I just, terrible. <laughs> And I would, I would uh, go to church on the weekend and repent. I loved the Lord, and I was sorry that I was that way. But I was so weak, because I really didn't understand that I died with Christ. I didn't understand that I had a new nature. I didn't understand that I could build my life around Him. I, I, and I had so much to identify with these kids in the, in the school that I would give in, and I would, just, I would just have this filthy mouth. But you know, all these years later, I'm 57 now. I was 12 then. All these years later... When, when I get into a stressful situation, there's still this very ugly temptation to, to use what it calls filthy talk here. And I have to choose the right word to say or the wrong word wants to come out of my life. So what is there? There is this evil nature that dominates us. We come to Christ. And the old nature is put to death, but then there's this temptation that still wants to... The devil wants to get handles in our life. And we need to break those handles off is what this is saying. Well, it goes on and says... Verse 9, it starts out by saying, don't lie to each other. Certainly you shouldn't do that in a marriage. And then I put an E here. For you have stripped off your old evil nature and all its wicked deeds. I underlined that. You have stripped off your old evil nature and all its wicked deeds. Think about this. Picture you're having come to the Lord in this way. That you came wearing uh, filthy clothes. Clothes that you had worked in all day. They were dirty. They were torn. They were sweaty. They were smelly. They were rumpled. And you came to the Lord, and the Lord took those off of you. And He gave you a shower. And He cleaned you up. Isn't that wonderful? But who wants to run around naked for the rest of their life? 
The truth is, God has stripped us of the old evil nature. This is why when you become a Christian and you surrender your heart to the Lord, you begin a struggle. Because you begin to sense that, that the things you used to like to do, they smell bad to you now. And yet there's still the temptation. And you're, and you're conflicted and you don't quite know what to do. Well, what does that mean? Well, God has cleaned me up. But now there's time for me to begin to grow and to mature in my walk with the Lord. Go to the next part here where I, in the notes I put, put on new clothes, verse 10. It says, in its place, in place of the old evil nature, you have, and I put A, clothed yourself with a brand new nature. You've clothed yourself with a brand new nature. When we pray and invite the Lord in our heart, the Spirit of Jesus comes to us, the Holy Spirit, and He bonds Himself to our spirit. And now there's, there's, there's something new. There's, there's different kind of hope. There's a different kind of sense of joy. There's a different kind of sense of anticipation of tomorrow being a better day than today was. And it says, you have stripped yourself of the old nature and all its wicked deeds. You've now clothed yourself with a brand new nature. But notice this, it's a whole wardrobe. It says, this is a nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ who created this nature within you. It's like God doesn't just want to give you a new set of clothing. He wants to keep adding to the wardrobe in your closet. How? as you learn more and more about Christ. This is why it's important. I was so pleased this weekend, because I've been banging on this for a while. It's a holiday weekend, and you sort of expect church attendance to drop down. And, and uh, I saw a lot of Sunday morning people that are, who knows where they are today, because of the holiday, in church on Friday night, or in church on Saturday night. And we're beginning to build some consistency into our lives. We're going to learn, and we're going we're gonna to develop this new clothing of the new nature as we faithfully learn the things of the Lord. And, and there's three ways that I can think that we have around here that are available to us to do it. One is showing up here and, and continually being taught the Word of the Lord. You heard this testimony this morning from a woman who said, she didn't say it this morning, she said it the other day, she's been coming to this church since 1992, more off than on. And it took till 2000 to 10 years before she ever really got it. Well, why? Because of the inconsistency. If you want to come and grow in the Lord... You need to be faithful and you need to be consistent, at least at this church, because I teach in series. You know, whatever I'm talking about this week fits with whatever I talked about last week, and it'll fit with what we're going to next week. And we, we, we need to glean from that. We need to be in the process of growing. Does that make sense to you? And then the second thing that I think is, is, is Christian fellowship. You know, we, we talked about these five core purposes, worship, you know, coming here and, and being with God and getting in His Word. Fellowship, getting with other people. Around here we have something we call mini church. We have a, 150 mini churches or something going on around the island. Small groups where people are getting together and talking about God's Word. Either, either studying passages separate from what I'm doing or, or just some, most of our mini churches. They'll just go back into what I taught on the weekend and discuss it so you can dig in it and you can learn it a little bit better. You may be in a situation, I know people who have odd, such odd schedules, they can't find a mini church. We got them at all times. But then you could just get together with a friend and say, we're going to go out to coffee every Tuesday morning before work and, and we're going to have our own little mini church. We're going to just get together and, and get in the Word and, 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 and talk about what God's doing in our life. And we'll pray for each other and we'll become partners in this thing. That It could be your spouse. And then the third thing that I think you need to do is develop some sort of a plan of, of, of getting, reading the Bible yourself. You know, whether, to me right now, what I do is I just, I'm moving a bookmarker through the book of Joshua. I've got another bookmarker in Psalms, and I just move through Psalms. At whatever pace I, I choose, I read till I get something out of it. There's these systems and plans for reading through the Bible in a whole year. That's good, 
But that gets pretty heavy. That can be legalistic, and, and you can get depressed and give up, you know. And, uh, you, but, but find something that works for you. But keep putting on this new, new nature as you're learning more and more about Christ. Well, I want you to drop down and uh, go to verse 12. It says, Since God chose you to be the holy people whom He loves, and I wrote a B here, B, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Mercy. You see, this is the clothing that God wants you to wear now. What is mercy? Well, I, I treat people better than they deserve to be treated. Well, that'll work in a, in a marriage. Treat your spouse better than they deserve to be treated today. Kindness. Just go out of your way to do that little extra thing. I, I, I forgot about this for years, but I've been running around opening car doors for my wife again. She's blown away. She doesn't know what to do with it. You know? Just, just go out of your way a little bit to show kindness. Humility. You heard someone say this morning in a testimony that pride is a marriage killer. Pride is a marriage killer. Learn to clothe yourself and to clothe your heart with humility. Learn to have an attitude first that is surrendered to the Lord, and that will kill your pride. And then begin to surrender yourself to your partner. Gentleness. Well, gentleness means that you're, you're gentle, you're, you're soft, you're, you're easy to get along with. My wife scraped the side of her car the other day against a post at a certain medical building in our community. There's a place where it's got iron posts, but they poured concrete about this high up. Instead of spending the extra money to pour it this high so you could see what you were driving up against, they left it this high, and it's covered with other people's car paint all throughout this building. And my wife scraped the side of her car and put a little dent in it. She came home, and she was terrified to tell me. The truth is, 10 years ago, she scraped the side of my car in the same building. She was terrified to tell me at that time. And neither time did I pop off in anger and... But why is she afraid to tell me? Because when we were young, I wasn't a gentle person. When we were young, I wasn't a patient person. When we were young, I'd go off the fuse because of something that really wasn't her fault at all. It was just something that happened. In fact, if it's anybody's fault, it's the fault of the people who built the building in a stupid way. Am I making any sense? So you learn to clothe yourself with the nature of Christ and and, and, and push aside anger, push aside rage, push aside pride. There's, there's some of us that we think to be masculine, we've got to be tough. We've got to be macho. We've got to be... <laughs> Here's who's tough. Here's who's tough. Jesus, who the Bible says could have called 10,000 angels to come and get him out of whatever was going on when they tried to nail him to the cross and who voluntarily laid his life down for us. That's tough. That's tough. And that's the model that God is calling us to in learning to love one another and and have a relationship that really works. It says in verse 13, I put C, you must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Make allowance for each other's faults. What is it that really irritates you about your spouse if you're married or your boyfriend? You're not. Because somebody else might really like that. There's a whole lot of immorality Or a whole lot of broken relationships that have built up around somebody identifying something as a fault in another person because it doesn't just quite fit my cup of tea. And then somebody else coming along and and saying, I really like that about that person. You know, there's there's guys going, my wife just talks too much. 
There's other guys going, you know, I, I really admire that in a woman that she, she, says, she says what's on her mind and she, this and that. And, and so, you, you, for, at least forgive the faults. And if you forgive the faults, you're probably going to come to the point where at some point you begin to go, there's something that's a real good side to what I've identified as something that I, I saw in my immaturity as a fault. What's that saying? Accept each other. Accept each other the way you are. Stop nagging people. Stop trying to make somebody into somebody they're not. Accept who God made them and thank God that he blessed you with this person in your life. Forgiveness. The word forgiveness here, it's like writing off a debt. You know, I, I, there's a person in my life, and you don't know this person, so don't try to guess. But there's a person in my life that continually wrongs me. And wrongs me with a smile on their face. You know, can just... It's just, you scratch your head and go, how can you be? I mean, I don't get it. You, you just, and I have the hardest time forgiving that person. And then I came and I realized, I was reading, studying one day, and I got into the Greek word behind this word forgiveness. It means as, as if you were writing off a debt. It's not an emotional thing. It's, it's a, as, as, if, as if somebody wrote you a bad check. And you kept sitting around getting all upset about it and waiting to get your money and trying to get your money back and da 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 And then one day, you just said, I'm not expecting that anymore. I'm writing it off. And when you wrote it off, what happened? What happened? Did you lose something? No, you lost something before when they wrote you the bad check. The day you wrote the thing off, all that happened was you got free from worrying about that other person. Does that make headway here? You, forgiveness frees us. Lack of forgiveness turns us bitter. And, and, and all it does is become a cancer that ruins our soul. And so if I can come to a place where I can go, I don't have to understand, I don't have to get into motives, I don't have to get into anything. I can just write it off. Well, now I, 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 I become emotionally free. God wants this, and he wants this in our, in our love relationships, our love life. Well, let's go on. It says here, verse 14. The most important piece of clothing that you must wear is, what's it say? Love. And this is that word agape. This is the kind of love. Remember there's three words for love in the New Testament. Eros, which God wants you to have. Sexual desire toward each other in a relationship. Phileo, friendship toward each other in a relationship. But agape, the kind of love that says, I'll lay it all on the line for you. I'll surrender my life for you if that's what it takes. I give myself up for you. And it says the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Now, you know what? If you live like this, this will help you to get along better at work. If you go to work wearing the clothing of love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness and gentleness and all this, you'll advance in your career. You may have some person at work that everybody doesn't like to be around because they're so mean-spirited. If you begin to love them, they might change. They might be the next person standing up here giving their testimony in church about how Jesus changed my life and transformed me because that's what this is all about. But this certainly will work in, our, in what we call our love life, our romance and our, our marriage and all of that. Look at the verse 16 here. And this is the third part of this. Fill your relationship with Jesus. It says, Let the words of Christ in all of their rich, richness live in your lives and make you wise. I put an A there into that whole sentence. Let the words of Christ in all their richness, live in your hearts and make you wise. Teach you how to live. Well, what do you do? You, you begin to, to, to come to a place where you know God well enough that when you're making decisions, you make decisions according to God's Word. Should we buy this or shouldn't we? You know, should we get into this venture or shouldn't we? What does the Scripture say about that? You know, one of the things that the Scriptures tell you is, is, is uh, don't make haste to be rich. 
because it always leads to destruction. Well, one of the things you get in the mail all the time is, is information that you didn't ask for that tells you how to get rich in a hurry. And one of the things that happens over and over is I'm talking to people that get scammed out of, you know, I lost $3,000. This thing was supposed to make me hundred grand, and I invested in it. And that wasn't an investment. That was, that was throwing your money down the toilet, you know. And, and just if you, had, if you had looked through the scriptures and let the words of God begin to fill your mind, you begin to have wisdom when you come on things that if it's too good of a, of a deal, it's too good of a deal. Don't do it, you know. The, the Bible warns against things like that. You'll learn how to parent your children. I talked to a, a woman last night and she said, one of the problems in our household is my husband and I are not together when it comes to discipline. Well, I know this family. I know them well. Often that one of them will try to discipline the child and the other one will get in a fight with the parent and now everybody's fighting with everybody. And, and if you came to the place where you, you came to, there's a consensus in here because God gives us a way how to discipline your children and you first come together around that. Now you'll know how to deal with this situation. So, so let the words of Christ and all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. B, use his words to teach and counsel each other. Well, see, if, if I've let them live in my heart, now I've got his word at my disposal and it becomes easy for me to, to, to begin to teach and, and say, bring this into my life with my spouse. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. 